think I'm up to something Dirty feet, I'm running, nigga, tryna find my way, 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 way I ain't got no man, no way to navigate I say fuck it, they gon' jam me anyway Welcome to another episode of Unapologetically HBCU. Today in the building, we have with us Ms. Jennifer Evans. Who else do we have in the building today, ladies? Um, hey, y'all. It's Adelia. And then, hello, it's me again, Charslin. Nice to, nice to hear from y'all again. Hey. <laughs> uh, hello, I'm Jennifer Evans. I am Fort Valley State University class of 2005 and Meharry Medical College class of 2010. Yes. Two degrees. Come on, Heard you. School. Come through. And of course, you have me, one of your hosts, Lanika Harvey. All right, we're going to get into it today. So ladies, how's it going? Going pretty good. I'm ready to get into this, this background with Jennifer. So, you know, I want to know about how you ended up at um, Fort Valley State University in Georgia. Fort Valley State University was founded in 1895 in Fort Valley, Georgia, after a group of men petitioned the Superior Court of Houston County, Georgia, to legalize the creation of a school to promote the cause of mental and manual education in the state of Georgia. And what was formerly known as Fort Valley High and Industrial School was created. Fort Valley offers undergraduate and graduate degrees in arts and sciences, education, and agriculture, family sciences, and technology. For more information, please visit fvsu.edu. Okay, well, definitely um, a family school for my family. Um, I had an uncle uh, who is diehard supporter of Fort Valley to this day. And he made sure even as a high school student that I was involved in the um, summer camps that I knew about the dual enrollment there. And it just, you know, it was just natural for me just to go on and go to Fort Valley. Um, I enjoyed myself there and decided to just go ahead and stay complete my degree for all four years. Okay. I love it. And you're a native of Georgia, so how was that um, going to school not far from home? Um, I think it was it was good for me. Um, I would spend all week, of course, on campus, Saturdays at the football game, basketball game, whatever was going on. You know, Sunday, make that 30, 45-minute trip home <laughs> to wash clothes get you know some good cooking <laughs> take a nap and head back for the week so that that was the um that was the joy of being so close yeah that is definitely a big advantage and for those who don't mm-hmm. know Jennifer, where is home for you um when you were making those trips when i was making those trips monroe county georgia Hey, AKA so. the <laughs> right in the heart of Georgia. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Wait, so how far is Spelman from y'all, D and Tink? Like, how far was that drive? Like, just one way? It all depends on traffic because it's Atlanta. Okay. So uh, sometimes an hour, sometimes two. It all depends. <laughs> yeah, okay. On a good day, uh, depending on who was driving, if it, if it was our dad. <sighs> Maybe 45 to 55 minutes. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. 
<laughs> so how often did, did that determine how often y'all went home? Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, cause I was two and a half hours away and I, it was no, like there was no going during the week. That was just not a thing. Two yeah. and a half, three hours away. So it was like, but weekends were not that, like it wasn't that major because it's like, it's not really that far. Yeah. So I could go home for any event that I needed to, but I was far enough away where I knew she could pop up on me at any moment. Like it was, <laughs> it was a good, like, you need to call first, make sure I'm here for the most part. So I was just wondering. Yeah. So was it an easy transition for you, you know, being that close to home? Like it's not, you know, uh, when you get to the Georgia Pass, it's not too much traffic as you would get like in Atlanta, but mm-hmm. how is that for you? Like, you're not um, close to home, but you're not too far either. Right, right, right. Uh, for me, it was a good transition because I had already been doing, like, summer programs there where I would be in in the dorms in the summertime. Mm-hmm. So um, I was familiar um, with, you know, doing some things for myself and, you know, um, just being responsible for me <laughs> during the week so to speak um so it wasn't a, a a terrible transition for me and um just getting there and making some friends right off the bat and things that was helpful yeah so what did you major in biology oh mm-hmm. so were those camps like stem camps um, yeah it was like uh pre-health science um and with the professors in like the biology and chemistry um, departments. So, yeah. Did you feel like while you were in high school that you started leaning towards those subjects early on or was it the camps that exposed you to the STEM uh, field? I think I leaned towards it early on because I always was a lover of science, like uh, my whole life. So it just, it's kind of like natural for me to lean that direction. I have one of those random questions. I know it's that it's said, and then it goes together that science and math go together. I get it, but I don't understand how, like why? Like I know people say that, but what is the reason? Does anybody have an idea? Cause I, I would like to know still, <laughs> not really. My only thought would be that, you know, um, you need a lot of the some of the calculations and things for the for the sciences. Okay. okay. Um, that's that's about that's probably about it. They so yeah they they, they go hand in hand. So because if you don't get the calculations, then the science ain't gonna be right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That makes that makes sense. It's interesting okay. that you say that because a lot of people who are good in math they are also good in science, and it's kind of like English and social studies go together as well. So that's weird. That's a weird. Um, comparison because I never realized that until you just said it like they really do go hand in hand because like you said if those calculations ain't right you know you're gonna blow up the science lab (laughs) (laughs) true (laughs) so what I guess how was your time at Fort Valley like how was class life for you you know just student life like how how was it um it was good like even to this day, like when I graduated in 05, I, I still um, have a group of friends. We were roommates that we're still like great friends to this day. Um, and 
you know, we helped each other. We studied together, um, went out together when we did. But, you know, the the classroom life was for me was good um, because I already went in like, okay, I know what I'm here to do. Um, I'm gonna have a little fun while I'm doing it, but I, I'm here for the main thing. Do you guys think that your college friends are like the friends that you're gonna have for life versus like high school? Cause you know, in high school you think these are my, like we ain't never gonna not be friends. Like you think those are your, like nothing's gonna ever happen. And then come to find out life just happens and you just stop talking to each other. It's not even, you had a fight, it's just like, yeah, I don't even know what you're doing anymore if it wasn't for Instagram or Facebook. At least that's how my generation is because we didn't have as much social media. When you got out of school, it was kind of like, if we wasn't, if you weren't calling me, right. mm-hmm. I don't know what you're doing. Would y'all say the same? I'm still close to some of my high school friends and my college friends. Like those first few years in college and my uh, freshman year roommate, we're like biggest thieves to this day. Okay. Um, it's kind of like that with high school. So I guess it just all depends on the people. Yeah. I think personality matters too. Like who mm-hmm. I was in high school is not who I ultimately became in college. And the people in college knew who I'm still cool with today they knew me during that time where I was really, you know, developing some parts of my identity that are still with me today. And I think that, um, to your point, there's, there's not necessarily something catastrophic that happens that will divide you and your high school friends, but rather I think you start developing common experiences and things like that with those people who you're around 24 seven for four years, um, that kind of makes it easier for that to stick. Yeah, you know, and it's also yeah. like you're going through the trenches with these people four years. It's kind of like, are we gonna graduate on time? Are we gonna pass this class? Like you up at three o'clock in the morning trying to <laughs> time like, hey girl, wake me up because I got you know the studying to do. So it's kind of like you develop a different type of relationship. Not it's make- the struggle. Yeah. It's the struggle you go through because you hungry together, you eating ramen together. If you do have money, you go into the restaurant together because that's the yep. first person you're gonna call. If they don't have it, you like, but I still want to go, so I got you. For right now and then you got me on the next go around so I think it's probably more of the struggle because like you said you have more things in common like we struggling together we got to pass these classes together whereas Mm -hmm. in high school you still have your parents everyone's relying on their parents there's not really I mean you might be going through struggle but it's your family struggle not just your struggle by yourself yeah Mm -hmm. so uh Jennifer a question I have for you is in Fort Valley, what made you think like, hmm, I want to continue this biology degree. Like I want to continue down the medical field. Like what made you just think? And then also what made you even think of like Meharry? Mm-hmm. Um, I would say I've always had uh, a neck or just a, a passion for like healthcare. Um, I think I got to high school and I was like, I'm not going to medical school. That's just too much. But I got to Fort Valley and um, I had professors that were like, yeah, that's cool. You want to do this and things. Um, but I, I still think you need to apply to medical school, too. <laughs> so just that encouragement from the faculty I had. Do you feel like you could get that anywhere else besides an HBCU? Like that um, 
push that push those who are looking at you like yeah i see you're doing good but i want you to go higher i got you i got you um i can't say that i know mm-hmm. that i would um i think that's what attracted me to uh fort valley and to like just go ahead and continue my studies and finish there was the the encouragement to and the push to do better to be better um not just to okay yeah okay you can pass these classes and things but if you want to be competitive you need to also do x y and z as well you need to go and get in these research programs do these summer programs um you need to do all these things besides make good grades and i don't know if anybody would have given me that information anywhere else mm. So at what point did you apply to Meharry and how was that process like? How were your professors supportive or what was that like for mm-hmm. you? Oh, well, when I finished at Fort Valley, I went on and did a uh, post-bac bachelor's degree um, in medical technology. Um, and I was still in contact with all my professors still back at Fort Valley um but it was okay that you off jennifer but i've heard um i've heard of this post back to medical school transition a few times Mm -hmm. those who don't know what is a post back program yeah post back is where okay you uh have a gap in between the time that you have finished your undergraduate work and you are looking towards medical school uh either you're needing um more time and you need something to be doing in that time and space or for some people it's it's even uh helping them to build their uh science gpa and things like that uh and some postbacks include just depends on how the postback is geared towards um includes more degree work okay so it's sort of helping you to have those foundational things that you would need in order to be successful when you move mm-hmm. on. Right. And I did mine because I uh, wanted that time and space, but I was like, hey, if I don't get into medical school, I always said I wanted to do medical technology. <laughs> so if for some reason I don't get into medical school, you know, I'm still on track in life, so to speak. <laughs> Uh, so that yeah yeah mm -hmm. and uh, while I was there in finishing up I did put in my applications to uh, several medical schools you know by that time I've taken the college admissions test I've applied to all the different schools Um, Meharry felt like home Named after Samuel Meharry, Meharry Medical College was founded in 1876 in Nashville, Tennessee, making it the first medical college in the South for African Americans. As a leading producer of African Americans with PhDs in biomedical sciences, Meharry is one of the nation's oldest and largest historically black academic health science centers dedicated to educating physicians, dentists, researchers, and health policy experts. Meharry offers doctoral degrees in medicine, dental surgery, and philosophy, as well as masters in science and public health. For more information, please visit home.mmc.edu. It gave me that same sense of, okay, we're going to push you 
and you're going to do what you need to do, but we're here for you. I, I got that same sense about Meharry. Um, and thankfully and gratefully, they accepted me. <laughs> awesome. So did the HBCU for medical school ever like cross your mind when you were applying or you just what were just applying? Um, I, it, it did cross my mind. Um, and when it comes a lot of times to students trying to get into medical school, it's more about, hey, I'm going where they take me. This <laughs> is sort of sweet, you know. If you get more than one acceptance offer, that's awesome. And you can, you know, make some decisions and things like that. But, you know, you kind of, when you're thinking about where you're applying, you think about kind of what region you want to be in, what region you'll be comfortable with, and then just start applying. But I made it a point to apply to uh, the um, HBCU medical schools. Mm -hmm. Awesome. And so you get into Meharry, um, which we know is in Nashville, Tennessee, right? Mm -hmm. Right. That transition, like um, being from middle Georgia, attending school in Fort Valley, and mm -hmm. then now transitioning to Nashville. Um, it wasn't that bad. Um, I guess for me, um, it was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to have to make this transition to get to where I want to be. Mm -hmm. And when I got there, once again, I discovered friends that became like family. Um, that from, from day one, we, we were studying together and things like that. Um, that I would say it wasn't, it wasn't a terrible transition because I was kind of used to doing things uh, on my own. And what about the workload? Um, I know that you said that you did the post-bac program. Mm -hmm. Was that transition academically? Um, were you prepared academically when you went to Meharry? I was prepared as far as what I knew foundationally, but I already knew um, going in just from talking to other medical students from different medical colleges around um, that everything you've learned from undergrad and maybe even post-bac, um, yeah, you're covering that in like the first two, three weeks. <laughs> like, yeah, we're done with that. Now moving on. <laughs> so, you know, and it's uh, a lot of information, but you learn how to tease out the information. So what did you ultimately end up getting your doctor in, or I don't know, MD in? <laughs> yeah, I got my, you know, got my MD and went on into a resident tra residency training, um, and I trained in family medicine. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So that kind of is everybody, really, right? Like, well, for the most part, or is it after, after they see a pediatrician, then you go into, how does that work? Like, is there an age yeah. group, or is that you cover everybody from start to finish? Ooh, should I yeah. not say finish? <laughs> I mean, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah, I get what you're saying. It's it's true. It happens. <laughs> um, well, basically, everybody finishes with their MD. Um, in the at the towards the end of the four years, um, and especially that fourth year, you that you're applying for your residency position to train in whatever type of medicine you want to train in, whether it's family medicine, uh, whether you want to be an OBGYN, a surgeon, an eye doctor, an ophthalmologist. 
Um, do you only get to pick one or do you get like top one. three? <laughs> no. Well, I mean, you, some people had a strategy where they applied, they, you know, we do different rotations in medical school those last two years and you're exposed to all the different specialties. And so some people had a strategy where, you know, I really want to be an anesthesiologist, but if I don't get into anesthesia, I don't quote unquote, what we call match into anesthesia, uh, anesthesia program, I, I'm okay with being a surgeon. So you they cannot pick you for a specialty that you want to be in? You, you go for your specialty. So for me, I've applied to only family medicine residency programs because I knew like family medicine or bliss because I, 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 I just like, uh, I had a goal to, to be in the community and to be that primary care provider. Uh, so uh, I applied to, I can't even remember, 12 residency programs. I interviewed at... I believe 10 of them. It gets to be long, <laughs> a long season. Is it we call like it a season. applying for a job? Like you yes. put in a resume and then they call you back if you match and then you go further in the process kind of? You um, you put in through this national database. They love national databases and things. <laughs> you put your application in. You apply to the residency programs that you would like to be in. Um, some of those will call you back and say, hey, we want you to interview. And this is, well, you know, way pre-COVID. So you <laughs> hop on the plane or hop in your car for a day or two and you do like a whole day of like interviews with different people in the programs. Yeah, and then come February-ish, uh, you put in, you, you rank which programs that you would like to be in. And those programs do the same thing. And there's this magical computer <laughs> <laughs> algorithm. And um, you find out in March whether you, A, did you get into a program? And then B, which program did you get into? So it's kind of like the draft of medical school. That's what I call it. Oh, that's interesting. It's bigger than than graduation. So <laughs> yeah, I can see those match day posts. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Match. Um, but to just hear the process and all that goes into it is is definitely interesting. So you were saying that you hopped on planes and you got in your car to do these interviews. You had to mm-hmm. was this at your own expense or were these programs paying for you all? to come to them to do their interviews? Mm-hmm. It, it depends widely on which programs you're applying to, but most of the transportation was on you, um, but they may like they may pay for your hotel. They make sure that all your meals are covered. Um, for the most part, that was my experience. Okay, so oh, wow. for those medical students who are getting towards the end, not only are you paying for, or, you know, making sure you have your tuition and, you know, room and board pay, but you also want to make sure that you're budgeting for that match process as well. Is that right? That is correct. Um, I, I'm not sure how they're doing it this year. I know a lot of it was virtual last year because of COVID. So, you know, COVID just made everybody pivot <laughs> to this virtual world. 
And now um, it, I would assume they wouldn't go back to it because if I can see you over the computer, that's saving them money and the applicants <laughs> money, I would assume. Yeah, well, I, I think some will go back um, to, you know, the in-person interviews just so they can see your personality throughout the day and different things. <laughs> um, but um, we'll see what, what happens this year. So what was that feeling like when you got your first match letter or is it a letter or a call? What is it? It's a letter um, that uh, the process has changed a tiny bit, but just the basics is on that match week on that Monday, you get a letter saying, hey, you matched. You don't know where (laughs) or anything like that. You just know you matched. Or if you didn't match, you'd get a letter saying that you didn't and you would um, have to try to get a position. You can try to get a position by the end of the week. <laughs> um, then uh, week, the end of the week comes um, and at noon, everybody finds out where they're going. So different places, different schools have their own traditions and ceremonies and things on how they do it. But the information is available at noon um, that day. So we had a whole ceremony that was like, it was like the, to me, it was like the the Oscars or something, you know, you get up there and give your little speech. You got your family up there with you and you open up your letter and you see for the first time, because we try not to spoil it by checking our email, but you find out for the first time like what you matched in, you know, matched in family medicine, and I'm going to X, Y, and Z university in this, this city, this state. I get why you say it's like the draft now, because at first I was like, well, it's kind of just like applying to college, but that factor where they kind of decide where you're going, and you just kind of like, all right, I guess I can pack my bags now. That part, I get it now. It, yeah. it, it, it clicked. Oh, I don't think I would like that. Oh, wait, no. <laughs> I don't think I would like that. Because it's like, what if I, you know, so no one who did not match is not there, correct, at the ceremony. They they can come. They can come. But they already um, know they're not getting anything. They're not surprised right. at that point. They're not oh, surprised okay. at that point that they, they haven't gotten a space. And, and then just to kind of talk about that aspect, that's a hard thing because um, I've, you know, most schools want to try to get as many of their fourth years um, to match because, um, you know, that means they've been successful uh, okay. and they are making sure that their students are having some something in their pocket next year, so to speak. They're training to what they want to do and they have something in their pocket, a little bit of something <laughs> in their pocket the next year. So if you don't match, um, there are more there are more medical students than there are residency positions in the U.S. Okay. Um, so it's a good chance that somebody, you know, um, may not necessarily match. You know, it, it's not uncommon. Um, and it's a hard thing to see somebody go through. Um, but, you know, they usually reapply um, another time, another two times, some people another three times and they get the uh, position. 
as a patient, can you see like what round your doctor came in? At? Like, I'm just wondering like, because if you get them no match doctors, you might want to know. Like, they didn't match like four times. I might want to look around. Not saying they're a bad doctor, but uh-huh. I'm just saying I might want to go with a higher draft pick. Yeah, there's no way to know unless oh, they told oh. you about their life story. You wouldn't know. Just imagine like being at the doctor, like, yeah, it's my fifth time match. I'm like, fifth, if y'all don't come get me up out of this room. <laughs> Imagine you go in for plastic surgery or something. You know something that you chose and you kind of want it to be good. Exactly. It's like you wake up and then you look like doctor, I did not tell you to move this. Like <laughs> not tell you to move that. And then come to find out when you're in trial, oh, they didn't match to the like eighth time. Oh. Y'all not nothing new out on me. Like I need an experience, a season, a season. <laughs> but that's but that's weird because you know people don't even look for degrees on the wall. I know I didn't used to until that one doctor, that one kid kept setting up doctor shop. Oh and they yeah, the guy in Florida. He was yeah. not a doctor. No, he people wasn't. Oh, the I know. <laughs> And then I started because I'm like, ooh, that is true. I need to kind of know. You could just be popping up shop. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll say there are some very great doctors who just did not have the, the luck of the draw for whatever reason trying to get through the match process. Um, but finally, you know, it worked out. It 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 worked out for them. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I know that kid you're talking about. That, that was that was real interesting. That was hilarious that he had all these people tricked that he actually had his medical degree and all Multiple this training. Times. <laughs> <laughs> I think he did it three times. I was like, okay, at this point, either give the doc- the kid an honorary doctorate because clearly people trust him or keep him in jail because he clearly okay. going to keep doing it. Yes, he twice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Like, no, you cannot impersonate a doctor. Like, even Dr. Dre got to have a disclaimer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but I would like to go further into this medicine because especially as a Black female doctor, and especially around a lot of conversations these days about Black females and especially even birthing and just in mm-hmm. general, more people, and I know more women of color, I'm going to say women of color more so because we go to the doctor more than our counterparts, even though they're starting but are looking for black women doctors would you say like it is important that that does make a difference sometimes in the treatment or the care that you receive not saying that the other side is not good doctors but it just is a different connection or understanding that maybe is sought or had yeah I, I do think it makes a difference um if you think about um people who train and go back to their own communities and things like that um, you understand the people there, you understand the culture there, you know, so you have that connection, that trust with, with them. So the same thing goes with, uh, women of color looking for doctors that look like them. Um, we, we have a certain degree of understanding, um, of, of, uh, trust with each other, hopefully, you know, um, or, you know, we build that trust because we can have some common ground um, with each other mm-hmm. and knowing where everybody's coming from, so to speak. 
Yeah, like I know, especially like a dermatologist. I, I live in Europe right now, so that's kind of out of the question, finding a black dermatologist. Let's just be honest. But in the States, I know a lot of my friends have been. I'm like, oh, shit, that like when I first got here, my skin went haywire because mm. it's just completely different than being in Texas. And I was mm -hmm. like, I was that person that had never had acne. So I was like, I don't know what the fuck's going on. I don't know what to do. Like, I, I this is new to me. But had I had a black doctor, like, and then I went through, you know, you get aggressive because you're like, okay, I've never had acne. I mean, it's gone as quick as possible. That's just what it is. I don't care what needs to happen. But having a black doctor would have taught me about the scarring process, like the uh -huh. things that you can do. And especially, it, it just would have made a difference. It would have been less trial and error that I had to go through on my own. I would say it would have made a hell of uh -huh. a lot of difference. Um, uh -huh. Uh -huh. And just being in the conversation, like I said, about like, and it being more prevalent now about uh, women of color and childbearing and the traumas uh -huh. that are happening. Uh -huh. I didn't know that was a thing. I didn't know that was common until recently, but I mean, it makes sense. The question I have is where did the thought process or is it really the thought process of our pain tolerance is that much higher? Is that really what it boils down to? Like the thought process. Is right, that right. really what we're you. talking about? It's a lot of bias, put it like that. It's a lot of bias and, um, you know, and what we call it, uh, some subconscious bias. Yep. Um, everybody has them, but when it comes to, like, uh, what's been ingrained in people's mind and subconscious mind about Black people in general over the generations, it's still there, whether people want to Say it's there or not, <laughs> it's there, <laughs> in so, even in subtle ways. So um, there have been studies done where they've asked like medical students, like, hey, you know, black pain tolerance. Um, oh yeah, it's higher. No, <laughs> everybody's pain tolerance is different regardless of their, their uh, ethnicity, their race, their genetics, you know, it, it's different. So you can't just look at a black person and say, oh, She's strong. She'll be okay. She's just making it up. She's she's just um, being an actress right now. The interesting it's interesting that you say like, oh, she's strong. She's making it up because a lot of people think that black women are just supposed to take all of these hits to their body. Like like you said, they're strong. They're pain intolerant. It's like no, we're in pain. It mm -hmm. was uh, one tweet I had saw. It was like at one point a lot of people were taken to Twitter. Like, hey my this is what my doctor did like they took me off of my sickle cell medicine because they think i'm faking or like i'm right. dying here and then right. the piece just stopped because they think that black women can take all of this pain it's like no that's not normal yeah, no it's not and so is there anything being done or at least when you were in medical school to kind of counter those narratives is there anything for like culturally responsive um medicine or you know anything in place to kind of handle those biases that doctors may have well coming from Meharry uh, that was throughout our our um, curriculum from the beginning to the, the day you leave there it's in the curriculum it is it's the patients you see while you're there because it um, a lot of times we rotated through the safety net hospital up there um, in Nashville and um, so you see the worst of the worst. So you you would see somebody if you know they have something that could have been prevented, but by the time you see them because of just our quote unquote healthcare system, 
um, they kind of slipped through the cracks or they just didn't know where to go to get help. You see them at later stages of different things. So you, for, for me, it gave me a passion, a heart to, you know, like, okay, I got to make sure I take care of these people. You know, I got to make take make sure I take care of the, the people around me in a way that um, speaks to them. Um, but in general, at Meharry, I mean, from the beginning to the end, um, cultural confidence was, was big because of who we were and what the mission was. I have a um, question. So you went to an undergraduate in a medical school for HBCU. At any point during your residency or any point in your career, did people make you feel like you weren't competent? Because unfortunately, some people look down on HBCU still to this day. Like, did you ever like encounter any of that? Like, oh, you can't do this because you, you know, you don't have as much knowledge as I have because I went to Harvard or whatever. Um, I want to say yes, but it started a lot earlier than before I even got to Fort Valley. Um, as a high school student, um, of course, you know, uh, I knew teachers and things that went to Fort Valley State and they were all for me getting there. But I had some um, that were like, oh, you shouldn't go to HBCU, um, you know, things like that. But we proved them wrong. <laughs> all, you know, all my friends that went on to HBCUs, because it was like this one particular teacher, we're like looking at him like, did you really just say that to me? <laughs> you know? Um, but like, okay, so we're out here, we're just as successful as anyone else that went to any other institution. And I think, um, I think Michelle Obama said it best. You start getting out here and you start um, networking with different people and, and uh, learning and knowing different people. And you're like, there's nothing, they're not better than me. <laughs> there's nothing different between us besides our skin color, you know, so to speak. Um, but just having uh, that knowledge, even encountering that in high school and just going on about my business and, you know, saying, I don't know, this is where I want to go to school at. You know, I'm for sure this is where I want to go. This is where I'm going. There's nothing you can say to me um, to make me think otherwise. But um, yeah, I encountered that uh, first as a high school student. Yeah. I think there's one thing about HBCU graduates or a very confident that's one thing like confident in the world confident with versus black students or black people who went to pwis it's a little bit different most people think and i went to a pwi disclaimer it's like the reason most people black students go to a pwi is because it's like either their family or they think that it helps you integrate better or be able to deal with the world because it is a mixed pot that you're going to be mm -hmm. in. So going to a mixed pot school will prepare you for that. When in truth, all you do is click up when you get there. So nevertheless, you're with your the black the few black people that are there or the whatever group you are into. If you are a track runner, like I read, I was hung with my track girls. I hung with the you click up anyway. So it didn't change anything. The teacher doesn't teach you anything differently. So how are you learning to integrate any better? You're just in a classroom with those people. You might have to deal with different things that 
you wouldn't have to at HBCU, but that's in life. Had you gone out into the real world anyway, you would have had to deal with them. So I think there's a different confidence because what I've noticed from HBCU graduates is like, no, we know what we're capable of. And if you don't believe us, we'll show you. And that's just what it is. I don't have to prove myself to you. What I do will, will prove it on its own. Like, it's one of those things like, my mom was one of those people that was like, no, you you don't like HBCU uh, because she's from old school where companies did look at HBCUs differently. Uh -huh. And so uh -huh. she's like, no, you need to be able to get a job when you get out. Like, I don't know how that works. And all I know is it's a no. She was like, even though I was going to go to Xavier, but my grandmother went to Grambling. She was like, no. Then come around, I married I marry a guy who graduates from Grambling. And that's the thing. Yeah. My mom still ha sometimes says things. And I'm like, he put it the best way one time. Yeah, my whole life, he takes care of everything. A Grambling man is doing that. Somebody who went to an HBCU. So you can't on one end be like, I wouldn't like HBCUs, no. And then on the other end, but this person is taking care of your whole, like that doesn't make sense. So at the end of the day, I don't know. It made a believer out of me. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> I think I gotcha. it's like, like people always want to assign value to whatever decisions they make. Um, and you want to believe that if you go to a certain school or a certain, be part of a certain organization that that holds value because you're investing so much of your own time and money. Mm -hmm. into it. And for the longest schools like Harvard, um, or if you're in the South, the University of Georgia and Vanderbilt and Emory and all of these schools have traditionally held value socially and professionally. Um, but as we see, that doesn't, you know, we were just talking about cultural competency and health, having a doctor who went to one of those schools, especially if you are a Black woman or a Black woman giving birth, a Black person who has cancer or who has some other underlying conditions, that won't save your life you know, you need someone with the, the knowledge, the skills, the competence, the steady hand. And so regardless of what school they go to, you know, that doesn't really, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, for you, Jennifer, now that you're, you know, beyond Fort Valley and Meharry, you're practicing in the real world, how has that been for you as a person who is a Black woman doctor? How are you often received, um, you know, as someone who's a, a family physician? Um, well, usually by if you, you're coming to me <laughs> now, you know, I finished training. I've been out here outside of training since what I finished residency in 2013. So if you're coming to me, it's usually either by choice or necessity or both. Um, so we, we, we at least had that understanding. <laughs> so if you, you wanna see somebody else, go right ahead. You can go somewhere else, you can see somebody else, um, but I'm here for you right now, so to speak. Um, so I don't run into it much um, now. Um, I, I mean, I, of course, you know, I get some of those undertones and things like that, but it doesn't bother me to the extent because I know like, hey, I'm just here to help you. You can let me help you or you can, you know, we can find somewhere, somebody else, somewhere else. 
And so it really hadn't been an issue outside of training because now, now it's by choice or necessity that you're seeing me. Yeah. Mm. I have a question for you. What would you tell young Black women or really just Black people in general, or just people in general, like... Okay, so let me just um, set this up. I know a lot of, when I went to Spelman, there was a lot of people that came in, they were biology majors. By the time, second semester here, sophomore year, they were my <laughs> biology majors. <laughs> what would you tell somebody who's like discouraged, like with the medical field or trying to like stick to this major and like see the finish line? Because, you know, undergraduate, four years. Then med school, four years. Then you got residency, child, that's a lot. So what would you, what would you tell them? Um, I would say one, I mean, you, you don't necessarily have to be a science major to go into medical school or into some of the health professions, just depending on which health profession, but especially medical school, as long as you go and you do all those prerequisites. So it might end up that you end up just minoring in a science um, or you go back and you take some science courses, um, but you were a psychology major, you were an English major. I'm, I'm thinking of people who were in my class. And then, you know, a lot of my classmates went to uh, Spelman and Morehouse, uh, Xavier in, <laughs> uh, in uh, New Orleans. Um, but um, I would say, you know, know that you do not have to um, be a, a science major per se, as long as you get the requirements. Two, um, shadow, people in those different, um, in the different professions that you're thinking of. Make sure this is something you want to spend your time and your money on, because you will be spending both of those, lots of, <laughs> lots of time, lots of money <laughs> to get to where you want to be. You got to make sure this is what you want to be. This is what you want to do. It's not some, somebody else's dream for you. This has got to be your dream for you. This is what I want to do. Because I want um, some of my money back. <laughs> yes, yeah. I, made, I want my whole master's degree money back. I want to change it. But now that we're here, we here. So I agree. Make sure you know what you want to sign up for. Because yes. I'm still paying for it and I don't want it. And they won't take it back because I've tried to give it back. <laughs> Look, they, yeah, they said, no, we already gave you the service of providing you education. <laughs> but um I would just say yeah telling people to make sure this is what they want to do and and then also know of other things that you would possibly want to do you know um your profession does not make you so you you just need to have a passion for what it is you want to do as a a, a career uh whether it's in medicine or anything else um some people end up doing medicine as a second career or they um, do some other health profession as a second career. Everybody's timeline is not the same. So don't beat yourself up about that either, <laughs> you know? So I would just say it, be, be mindful of what you want to do. Make sure you're doing the research about how to get to where you want to be um, and in, be um disciplined in, in what you're doing and uh take care of yourself but endure 
Oh, I like that. Yes. Definitely take care of yourself and endure. Yeah. I have a question just in general. So if um, you're going to a doctor and like we said, you want to um, make sure the doctors, you're comfortable with the doctor and the doctor's going to understand you and your needs. Are there mm-hmm. certain questions you should possibly ask to know like, because I think a lot of people don't realize you don't have to stick with your doctor just because that's the doc- like I know a lot of times I'm like oh, this is a doctor that I have or that somebody told like okay whatever mm-hmm. they say but I do think now that I'm older you need to feel comfortable with your doctor it's right. almost like you kind of got to tell them your life history so you need to feel comfortable to get the care that you need because a lot of people also hide things from their doctor which is right. How can your doctor treat you if you're not giving them the full disclosure? So are there certain questions that you could ask your doctor just to kind of see how they're going to respond to your needs maybe just so ahead Mm -hmm. of time you can maybe nip it in the bud or switch doctors if that's what needs to happen? I would say the first thing is asking all the questions that you feel are necessary. So, um, you know, I tell people, don't assume that people know exactly what's going on with you, uh, per se, or that, you know, you might be looked down upon for asking any questions. So that's number one. You should be able to ask any question that you have concerning your body and get a, a, a understanding of what's going on. Okay. If you don't feel like you can get that from that health professional, then you might need to tell them that. Like, I don't feel like you are answering my questions appropriately. Could we revisit this? Or, you know, if that's not a go, you still have issues or, you know, you don't even want to cross that bridge like that. You can seek care from someone else. But that would, that would be my main thing, like, because it, it helps a lot just to know the complete picture of a person um and when people withhold information that affects treatment you know could you could need to be on just one medicine but because you haven't been taking this medicine it looks like that medicine's not controlling everything um so you get prescribed two or three other medicines on top of that you know when in all actuality if you would have just said hey you know this medicine, it it really makes me feel bad. So I haven't been taking it, you know, is there something different that I can take? Is there something different that I can do? You know, um, that's what I I would say. The main thing is, is ask all the questions you need and say everything that you need to say. And if that health professional, that doctor is not um, responsive to your needs, you you know by all means it's okay to move on thank you i appreciate that (laughs) excellent well jennifer we really really appreciate um the time that you have taken with us today and also your level of transparency yes Um, because i know a lot of people who've gone to medical school uh, but there were a lot of processes, especially that match process that I didn't know. <laughs> the Oscars, the Oscars, the, the Oscars, and the post back, how that works. Right. Yeah. Yes. Um, no problem. If there are people who are listening to us that want to learn more about your story or want to be able to find you, especially if they are um, in the Middle Georgia area, um, do you have some social medias or any other way that they can contact you? Sure. The best way to find me right now is 
um, at rejuvenatefamilyhealth.com or at rejuvenatefhc on Instagram, Rejuvenate Family Health on Facebook. Awesome. Got it. And we'll put that into the description box so that people have a direct link to it. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. I've enjoyed this today. Yes. Thank you so much for coming on Unapologetically HBCU. We'll see you guys next time.